0: Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James, and joining me on today's episode are Anne Marie and Emmett from the My Wall Street Analysts team. Today, we're talking about Microsoft's planned purchase of Activision Blizzard, why companies like Netflix and Peloton are raising their prices, and we give our updated opinion on hims and hers. <music> So Emmett, welcome back to the Stock Club podcast. I think this is your your first of 2022. You missed our 100th episode last week, though. How how did you feel? You you featured quite frequently in the stories. How did you feel about being talked about when you weren't there? Well, the first
1: thing I'd say is thank, thanks for having me back. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I was sorry to have missed the 100th episode. I, I got a great laugh out of hearing that I actually tweeted something that was totally meant to be below the line. I didn't even know that that happened until I listened to the podcast. So um, I'm sorry about that, James. Yeah, I, I have so many.
0: I'm curious to hear what is your favourite memory so me and Rory talked about our favourite memories and Anne-Marie of the Stock Club podcast what's your favourite one after you know three or four years of doing this mm, we've had enough we've had an awful lot of laughs
1: on the show I have to say uh, recency bias uh, I'll go with start with recency bias and there was, I was I split my sides laughing at Anne-Marie's description of why uh, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory is not an investable asset it was like an enslaved nation and the kids drowning in chocolate <laughs> toxic work Place, but I suppose when I look across the uh, couple of years where we've been doing the cast. My highlight was probably interviewing Morgan Household because I admire him so much and he's so intelligent and lucid and his thoughts on macroeconomy are just always so enlightening and, and economics is not where, you know, I spend my time and it was just great to have a chat with Morgan. So I really enjoyed that. But I think just the average show where we have a good laugh and despite our very earliest shows taking a few takes, I just love that we do them now in one take. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or that's what it seems like anyway which is the important thing um well let, let's move on quickly because we actually have a really full roster today and an interesting the first story we're going to talk about last week we were talking about take two interactive buying the mobile games developer zynga which was massive news but that news was kind of blown out of the water then in the last few days with microsoft announcing its planned takeover of activision blizzard for approximately 75 75- billion dollars which is a pretty big deal this news sends shockwaves across the investing world and for a couple of reasons really this is from microsoft's perspective this is its biggest acquisition since linkedin it's almost three times the price it paid for linkedin back in 2016 for activision you know they're a really really big name in the gaming industry they're behind famous games like call of duty and world of warcraft but the company has been in the press for all the wrong reasons recently due to reports of an extremely toxic company culture and it seemed to be under a lot of pressure recently both in terms of it's internal business, but also its share price. Huge news though, Emmett, and I want to come to you first on this. Both of these are companies within the My Wall Street shortlist. And even though we're only in January, this seems like it could probably be one of the biggest deals this year in 2022 so what's your initial thoughts on it does it make sense to you any concerns about it james
1: activision when i hear the name activision it says one word to me 11 okay okay uh, i'm not joking james when i say that for the rest of my life when i hear the name activision i immediately think of the number 11 and the reason for this uh, cognitive i suppose hiccup is that in the earliest days of my investing life I picked up shares in Activision for what at the time was about eleven dollars a pop because I figured at the time when I mentioned they'd be yeah. worth way more. And from that, from the day I bought in the mid nineties, and for about five years, Activision shares they were like a clothesline. There, it was just taught on eleven dollars a share, day in, day out, week after week, season after season. And this was at a time where I checked the share price and several times a day, which is crackers, by the way. Eleven bucks is burnt into the back of my retina beside the ticker ATVI. So whenever I hear Activision, honestly, the first thing I think of is 11 because I trained my brain for five years with the number 11. Anyway, so all these years later, the shares have split over and over and over and are up something like 60 fold since I sold, demonstrating to me once again that in most cases, investments are best just left to sit there after you've made them. So as you said, James, Microsoft announced that it's going to pay 75. $5 yeah. in cash to buy uh, the business in the biggest ever takeover in tech and gaming sectors. So for perspective... As you said, Microsoft's previous acquisition of LinkedIn for twenty six billion in twenty sixteen suddenly doesn't feel so big. This is huge, Mm. and as and it should be huge because anyone who has enjoyed gaming will most likely have spent more time than they realize with Activision Blizzard, including myself. Where like some of my happiest memories of my life were playing Skylanders with my kids when they were small. So uh, other titles from Activision, just to help our listeners get their heads around it, include. World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, Overwatch, Candy Crush, uh, StarCraft, Crash Bandicoot, Tony Hawk. It, like this is the MGM or Universal Studios of gaming. In mm. fact, it's way bigger. It's way bigger than an MGM uh, and or Universal Studios. So the deal is going to see Microsoft, to make our Xbox, become the world's uh, third biggest gaming company, I think, behind China's Tencent and Japan's Sony. So it's going to be by far the biggest in the United
0: States. And, and does does that make sense to you, you know, having been an investor so long and obviously, you know, whether invested in or following Microsoft, at least, does it make sense to you that Microsoft, uh, uh, away from being, you know, this software and, and kind of services giant now being the third biggest gaming company in the world?
1: Oh, it makes huge sense to me. It really does. I mean, well, we have to consider it's likely to prompt some kind of close. Look from antitrust regulators who are going to ask whether Microsoft, you know, owning uh, Activision will create unfair competition. Because up until now, an Activision game could be equally bought and uploaded or, or played on a Sony PlayStation, on a Nintendo machine, uh, and of course on a Sony Xbox. But you can see why Microsoft, like the, the the games that Activision has produced, are not especially niche or niche, as we say over here. Like in the US, EA games has been synonymous with. Speed sports which appeals to specific niches but here but the games that that Activision produce are appeal to everyone and and I can see why Microsoft really wanted to get this into their wheelhouse but as I'm sure we're going to discuss there's a, a bigger picture too which is the the metaverse
0: yeah absolutely but before we get to the metaverse one thing I really want to talk about and I suppose based on what we talked about last week is this idea of mobile gaming so obviously within itself gaming is quite a segmented um, industry and you know we, we we I think we rattled off st- stats last week that mobile uh, revenues from mobile gaming are almost the the same are always equal to pc and console gaming revenues combined you know mobile is really really this this fastest growing sector of the gaming industry and you know obviously activision own candy crush microsoft will now own candy crush probably one of the most famous mobile games do you see this as a play what, what do you think this says about the future of gaming that that microsoft are, are snapping up this mobile gaming uh, property specifically well the
1: the What's happening really is the way people consume games as we know has changed and changes rapidly and traditionally PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 you had a machine tethered to an old TV and there was some drama around playing a game and there was Mm. a sense of occasion and as we've all seen and as pretty much everybody knows we now just whip out our phone and Casual gaming is uh, 60 seconds here and five minutes there. And that's clearly part of the path. And uh, mobile gaming is going to be a bigger and bigger part of all of our lives as we go forward. But mobile gaming is moving from the handset, just as everything that we do is moving from a handset to a new device that we just haven't experienced yet. And I think it's looking down the railway track where uh, Microsoft are really seeing the value. I like, you know, if you take a data point of just one, me, if Activision titles were to become exclusively tied to Xbox or to a Microsoft device, then this household will dispose of PlayStation and legacy systems and move to Xbox, and tens of millions of others will too. There's no doubt about it. But when you think about the mobile aspect, once that they have these titles available on all mobile devices, I think that this really will compound Microsoft's already giant hold in in the gaming future.
0: Seems like, you know, obviously with Xbox and stuff like that, Microsoft already have quite a good foothold in gaming, but not maybe not so much in the mobile side. And, you know, when you do see how fast revenues are growing on that side, it's, it's not surprising they want a piece of that pie. Let's talk about the other big, I suppose, elephant in the room, then, which is, of course, the metaverse. Um, and, Rhi, I'm going to come over to you on this because you've spoken about the metaverse quite a lot on this podcast. And in the press release over this deals, um, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said that gaming will play, and I quote, a key role in the development of the metaverse platform. How do you how do you see Microsoft's metaverse platforms unfolding? They're not a company that immediately comes to front of mind when you think about the metaverse.
2: Yeah, I, I think the most obvious answer is we're going to continue to see small metaverses built up around what we tend to see them already built up around, which is gaming. And a lot of Activision Blizzard's kind of biggest titles are these multiplayer, massive, a lot of esports, really, mm. games that you could say like, oh, this is a small version of the metaverse. This is a gamified version of the metaverse. And, and that's titles like Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, Starcraft, and Overwatch. And Microsoft already actually owns probably one of the biggest metaverse players, which is Minecraft. You know, we can talk about gamified uh, metaverses, but Minecraft is really one of the things that you turn to when you don't necessarily see people playing games. They're just existing in that world. They're creating a world. And you see that with crazy projects where people like recreate to scale the Taj Mahal in Minecraft just because they want to. Like I'd say that that is more similarly close to how we live life than, you know, hopefully how you live life in Call of Duty. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think this probably represents a pretty good opportunity for them to build out their ability to make metaverses in games. But um, on top of that, also some more kind of VR, AR headset stuff. They really seem to be kind of targeting the immediate landscape of competitive mobile gaming, though, on top of that, which is something Emmett just spoke about. CEO Nadella, he said, we need to support many metaverse platforms as well as a robust ecosystem of content, commerce, and applications. In gaming, we see the metaverse as a collective collection of communities and individual identities anchored to strong content franchises. Yeah. And then on top of that, Phil Spencer, who's the head of Microsoft Gaming, said mobile is the biggest category of gaming and it's an area we have not had a major presence of the metaverse before. So I would expect to see these major content titles that they've just picked up from Activision, along with probably Minecraft, be built out into mobile versions that are more sophisticated than they are already. And this is going to mean that they're going to have to have some technical build out. Uh, Apparently a huge issue for the metaverse, which no one is really discussing, is there is a cap on how many people can exist in a single digital world at one time. This is apparently a huge issue for Second Life, which came out years ago, was very popular in the early 2000s. This is
0: a technical limitation.
2: Yeah, so basically it means that, like, for example, like say you're all trying to get into one location at the same time. There's, there'll be just a technical cap on the number of people that can appear, and once they reach that, basically the location duplicates, and a bunch of the new people that come all get funneled into the secondary location. There's just, it's just very difficult to allow you know millions and millions of people to be existing in one space at the same time and actually be able to interact with one another. Yeah. Um. So I'd say that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see a build out of huge legacy titles. We're gonna see moving into mobile. We'll see probably sophisticated pushes to try and get them into VR and AR. I'd say that's more of a long-term plan. And then also addressing technical issues that are naturally raised within the metaverse.
1: Mm. You know, the immediate benefit from Microsoft, of course, is access to Activision's, I think it's nearly 400 million monthly active users. But what they're they're buying is the Is brains that have been considering the metaverse for way longer than we've known about it. And meta focused processes and tools and code and platforms and games. And as you said, Amory, entire metaverse universes and worlds are awaiting our arrival. And I think that the challenge for most people is that if you have not experienced something, if you haven't played Minecraft, it's hard to sense its benefit and its magnitude, like hearing about, uh, for example, fully autonomous cars or CRISPR or whatever. And um, as I'm sure listeners know, you know, the metaverse is a virtual reality world, as you said, Amory, where you can experience things, and as they would in the real world, using tech that is coming our way soon. And I think the best way for our listeners to get a grasp of what the metaverse will do is if they've seen Steven Spielberg's movie Ready Player One. If you've seen it, you know what it is or what it can be. And, and you know, we are just being hit with so many proof points that the the metaverse is coming at us fast, Not notwithstanding Facebook renaming and Apple releasing AOR specs soon. I think this year and now this acquisition, we are all going to be in the metaverse sooner than we know. And right now, it feels like we're discussing this thing. And again, you know, Minecraft is Minecraft, but there is this whole new way of living, of being entertained, uh, of existence yeah. coming at us. And and uh, you know, to parents, if you taught your kids. We're addicted to the PlayStation. (laughs) Hold tight.
0: I just shudder to think what uh, LinkedIn might look like in the metaverse. That sounds like a a hellscape to me, (laughs) but uh, maybe that's (laughs) a topic for another podcast. Let's move on then. And obviously we talk about stocks from an investor's point of view a lot in this podcast, but we're all customers of these companies too. And I'm sure like many of you over the past few weeks, I've noticed that things are getting a little bit more expensive gradually. Two companies I want to focus on in terms of price hikes recently, Netflix number one. A few days ago, Netflix announced that it was raising prices in the US and Canada. A one dollar hike for its basic plan, one fifty for its standard plan, and a two dollar hike for its premium plan. Obviously, this isn't the first time Netflix has raised prices typically raises them about every two years but this recent price hikes means now that, that now the price of its premium plan is well more than double its original launch price while the standard plan is about five dollars more more expensive per month separately peloton has also announced new price hikes for its products but these ones are much more severe so from the end of this month the company will charge 250 dollars for delivery and setup on its bikes and 315 dollars uh, for the same with its treadmills this service was previously free and it will make the cost of these products Significantly, significantly more expensive at fifteen percent. Peloton, of course, is blaming this on global economic and supply chain challenges. But, Anri, let's talk about Netflix first. We'll take them one at a time. So, I assume. Netflix is raising the prices to feed its massive content budget. You know, the company spends billions of dollars every year on, on producing original content. Is that where this money goes? Um,
2: yeah, I would assume it's that. But it's also such a reflection of the diversity and number of movies and television shows that Netflix provides to consumers. While this is also probably an opportunity for Netflix to keep up with inflation a little bit. Yeah, I'm really not worried about this because Netflix subscriptions have a tremendous perceived value. And, and what I mean by that is is consumers openly talk about how much they love the product and how they would be willing to pay more. There's been pretty ample surveying about this. So back in 2019, 47% of American Netflix subscribers said that they'd be willing to pay more. In May of 2020, that figure had risen to 55%. Mm. At the end of 2020, respondents who stream more than seven hours of Netflix a week, more than 60% of them said that they'd be willing to pay more for Netflix. So this just seems to be something that Netflix users anticipate and are okay with because they use the product so much that it's worth spending an extra dollar, $2, $5 a month. The last time they did this was in Q1 of 2019 and that's when the most popular plan rose from 10.99 to 12.99 and while this did cause a minor increase in membership cancellations it was more than made up for the, by the fact that revenue accelerated quite significantly during that quarter and it's, it's just kind of baked into the fabric of Netflix. It reminds me a lot of how Costco raises its memberships every three to five years. It's something that we can anticipate. It's something we see coming down the line, quarters in advance. It's just the nature of the company, and I don't think it's going to scare off Absolutely. any subscribers.
0: Emmett, you're a long-term Netflix investor, obviously, so you've been through a lot of these price hikes. And, you know, investors seem to cheer the news, you know, the stock price raised when the price hikes were announced. Do you not think, though, that there is, you know, now that the streaming landscape scape is more crowded that this is a big opportunity for a cheaper competitor like disney plus who's only about eight dollars a month to come in and, and take some market share there yeah
1: it is absolutely but james the thing about it is this is a proven model so a business like netflix goes out on a land grab it gets as many pairs of eyeballs as possible it gets into as many homes as possible and then they have their price elasticity measured to decimal places. They they already know what's going to happen when they make this price change. I would imagine that in Peloton, they're not so on top of their price elasticity. And when you think about the fact that you have to pay now for delivery and assembly, that's a cost that's immediately gone. If you go to sell your Peloton bike, you've immediately lost that. It's it's depreciated the minute the guy walks out the door. Whereas Netflix, no. They just know when they, as Amory said, when they hike the price, they know exactly what it's going to do to the bottom line. And I think the average consumer, the average subscriber, rather, to Netflix absolutely becomes price insensitive. They know it delivers, yeah, huge value. They know it's on pretty much all of their devices. They might have even shared a login or multi viewer whatever with their folks or their family. So it d- delivers that value. Netflix ha- has the whole thing measured. So there's no doubting that Disney Plus and Prime and other players are there and coexist. But I really don't think the average household or the vast vast majority of households make an either or decision. Some will, of course, and price sensitivity does matter in a world where prices are going north but I do think that if you're subscribed to Netflix your decision is will I also get Disney Plus or if you're already with Prime am I going to add this thing I think very rarely is it in the basic economic terms a substitute product it is of course by definition but in reality it's an add-on
0: well let's talk about Peloton then as you mentioned Emmett so interestingly for Peloton only last August they actually cut the price of their bikes by 20% in order to try kickstart sales and Marie we haven't obviously seen Peloton's holiday figures yet but this new price increase does that tell us does that give us any indication about how Peloton's holiday season went
2: yeah it does seem to be less Certainly less considered than the Netflix move, as as Emmett was saying. It seems a bit rushed. And it's also appearing in the backdrop of statements that were made by CFO Jill Woodworth when she said the company is making, quote, significant adjustments to our hiring plans across the company, optimizing marketing spend and limiting showroom development. To me, that says that hardware hardware sales are slowing and it's impacting the company's ability to maintain its high level of service and expansion. It's also not a good look that they're hiding the price increase behind the guise of delivery and installation fees because when they did a price reduction I think in August of 2021 it was rem- like ba- taking away the the price that it currently now is being offered at and so clearly the hardware is worth this amount of money and could be sold for this amount of money and now they're saying no no this is a delivery fee I don't like that logic at all I think that's a little bit scammy like I don't like that and I think it's really in response to a slowdown in subscriber growth is maybe what I would put this up to. I'd say when they lowered the price several months ago, it's because someone within the administration said, right, there are people on the other side of the barrier to entry that if we took $300 off this bike or $500 off this bike, they would make the investment. And mm-hmm. you know what? It'll be fine because it'll be made up by subscription revenue that that person will pay to us over the course of the next five years, 10 years, however long Peloton expects its subscribers to hang around. And obviously that hasn't paid off. They have been selling hardware at that price, and they've been gaining subscribers with a decreased price of hardware, and they're obviously not making up for it. And that seems to be putting a lot of pressure on the company.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting then between the two companies, and Emmett, I want to come back to you on this. So, you know, when we think about Netflix, as I suppose, a a quote unquote, software company, in, in the fact that it doesn't produce hardware, and then you know, Peloton, you know, it has its software, but it's a mainly hardware company, there's obviously massive price elasticity between you know their both of their business plans and is this a consideration that investors should factor into the research that you know the the outlay the the you know actually shipping physical products rather than just going through you know going through a, a, an internet cable the difference in in the the prices they can charge for products is this something investors should consider when looking at two companies like these
1: Perhaps, but I do know that when I see a business that ships hardware that has something unique about it, it is a huge barrier to entry because most businesses want to just stay soft. They just want to push ones and zeros down a line. When you actually deliver something that someone looks at and appreciates and holds, whether it's a phone or a tablet or computer or indeed uh, an exercise bike and it has that aesthetic and design values that you particularly appreciate that is really difficult for other players to come at but then you know on the balance despite me saying that I kind of I'm left a little bit cold when I see that a business model is dependent on getting something physical into a household I was like when you look at a peloton this is just again an opinion of one it's it's a lovely looking Machine, but it is big. You need a big home, and no matter how they dress up their TV adverts with the Peloton in front of the window and a beautiful apartment in New York, it's not most people's reality. When that thing arrives in your home, it takes up a lot of space. And I, I just anyway, I'm drifting <laughs> off the point, James, as I do. But but yeah, um, price elasticity for hardware is not, uh, I believe, is not as good as price elasticity, as favourable as it is for software that's valued.
0: Absolutely. And before we leave this topic, then you know, inflation is obviously the big boogeyman in the room. At the moment, you know, I, I see um yesterday UK inflation, there was reports UK inflation has hit 30-year highs. You know, it's US, it's everywhere. Are, should we expect to see more announcements from companies like these over the next couple of months of price increases? I think so, yeah. Anne-Marie, what do you think?
2: Um, Yeah, on top of that, I would expect prices to increase due to supply chain issues. We're seeing that um within most companies. I know it was an issue for Roku last quarter where they promised that they weren't going to raise the price of hardware, but it now means that they're selling all of their devices for a much larger loss than they typically would be. So I think it's impacting all companies across the board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It looks like we have a lot of fun times ahead anyway. So let's move on then and talk about what's going on in My Wall Street at the moment. So we just added our latest stock to the My Wall Street shortlist on Monday. I think it was Rory actually who made the final call on adding this stock, but it's a product that I'm pretty confident that I can say all of us here have used pretty frequently in the past. Emmett, you're also pitching a new stock for Horizon on Monday. Can you give me any hints on what the stock will be
1: yes currently this stock is my third largest asset i already own this share okay i believe it will be by far the largest asset in my life in a few years i believe this is a stock that is a real set it and forget it and i think it's a 10 bagger in the making and is one of my most favorite companies in the world
0: okay that's a, that's, a, that's a good pitch. So don't forget that there's loads more great investing insights for members into my Wall Street app at the moment, including our Stock of the Month reports, our exclusive Stock of the Month podcast, and of course, an update on the reasons why Roblox still isn't looking so good as an investment. And marie you wrote that during the week. It was a really good read. So you can check all of this out by just going to mywallstreet.com now. Mailbag. So for this week's mailbag, we're taking a question we got in from through email from a long-time listener, Ronan. Thanks for getting in touch, Ronan. So he asks us for our opinion on HIMS and HERS, which is a telehealth company it operates primarily in the U.S. Henry, I think you wrote a first look in the My Wall Street app on Hims and Hers a couple of months ago. So, what are your thoughts on the company?
2: It was actually Rory that wrote it, and it was, okay. but it was just so you're
0: just you're going to rip him off. Yeah, <laughs> I just
2: read through his, and then I just updated the financial figures, and that was it. That's all I've done. No. Um,
1: <laughs> so, James, it was Hims, not hers. But um, <laughs> sorry, really bad joke.
2: So, Hims and Hers is a telehealth <laughs> company that has a subscription prescription drug model. Try and say that ten times yeah. fast. And They're really interested in kind of the non-emergency routine healthcare stuff. So they operate in a couple medical verticals, such as sexual health, skin, hair, mental health, supplements, and primary care. Their main focus is trying to corner a market where people are getting their prescriptions quite routinely. So they might be getting a shipment every month. But now they've also moved into primary care, but for like simple stuff, they have like quite a short list of things that you can use their service for. So it'd be things like sinus infection, ear infection, pink eye, you know, where you just need to speak to a doctor and be like, hey, I need an antibiotic. Can you just write me a prescription? That type of thing? since backing uh, about a year ago the stock's not been doing too well it's it's down about 70% which i think is why people are excited by it because it seems like a buying opportunity mm. and From a financial standpoint, they're actually quite an interesting company. Last quarter, which is Q3 of 2021, their customer acquisition costs sat completely flat quarter over quarter. And in that time, they nearly doubled their total subscriptions year over year. Their revenue rose 79%, meaning it's the fourth quarter of more than 65% revenue growth. Their gross margin is 74%. They have a 65% of all of their revenue coming from a recurring subscription model, and they have a retention rate of 88%, which is pretty astounding. When it comes to additional growth, they want to continue to add in new medical verticals. They want to add two every two quarters for the next two years. And um, they predict that their revenue growth will rise by 30% for the next year. This is considered quite conservative. So from a dollars and cents standpoint, it looks like a pretty impressive company. I'm waiting for the bus. Yeah. This is maybe my most kind of, I don't know. I take issue with the company and I will explain why. I think this is like fundamental to the way it operates. And that is is when you look at companies to invest in, you want to like them and you want to think that they're disrupting an industry in a positive way. And I, I don't think this company is. And what I mean by that is it's a very prescription first model. And the reason for that is because they make money when you take out a subscription to a prescription. And I know that they have focused on medical verticals in which that is quite normalized. But I also think it means that a lot of people are using this, going and thinking, I want this drug. Not necessarily, I want to go see my doctor and see what they, can, they think and what I should maybe take. What I mean by this is when you go on the website and you click on the mental health tab, it doesn't direct you towards a counseling service. It doesn't direct you towards a group session. The first thing it asks you is it gives you a list of medications and you click on, hey, do you want Prozac or do you want Lexapro? And then you click on it almost like you know what drug that you're going to innately need. And yeah. then it'll say, do you want to speak to someone about getting this prescription? And to me, that's a very Americanized version of health care. Mm. Americans use way more prescriptions than anywhere else on the planet. And I don't think that's good. Bloomberg wrote a huge critique of the company where they said Hims built a $1.6 billion online empire by pushing prescriptions. And I think that's true. And they, and, and the way they've kind of set themselves up is it's, it's a very marketing-centered company. It has a really cool millennial look. You go on there and their pills come in these really cool, well-designed little packages. And I don't think that we should be incentivizing people to seek out drugs first. That's not what healthcare is. That's not what positive healthcare is. That's not the type of healthcare that we see with Teladoc. When Teladoc began to kind of innovate during the pandemic over the last two years, we've seen them shift towards providing more touch points between patients and doctors Mm. so that when a patient has a chronic condition like diabetes, they can check in with their doctor every month and all they have to do is get on a Zoom call and that doctor can talk them through lifestyle changes rather than prescribing them more medication. I don't think that this is a type of telehealth service that I'm interested in and I think when Bloomberg wrote "Him's Real Innovation isn't in destigmatizing embarrassing medical conditions it's in making prescriptions extremely easy to get. I believe that I don't think this model is going to work outside of the United States and it just puts me off the company enough that even with these tremendous growth figures and this huge opportunity I, I wouldn't be interested in it.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating perspective
1: i uh, Marie, that was just brilliant
0: it was I, I i probably speak I probably speak for most Europeans you mentioned like the very American kind of focus healthcare the amazement when whenever you go to America and you see the ads on TV for different medications like that just doesn't happen this side of, of the water and uh, yeah it's quite jarring when you see it thanks for that though Henriette. Yeah, that was really really interesting so let's move on then guys and let's finish out today with the elevator pitch so we're going with the usual this week pitch me a stock you're researching at the minute and tell me what excites you or maybe what doesn't excite you about this company Henri I'll give you a break from talking <laughs> That was a long one. Emmett, what company are you looking at at the moment?
1: I'm looking at a few, James. The other evening, I asked a question on Twitter, which was, What are your top three stocks to buy and hold for 12 years? And from the 65 or so responses, I would say that I agreed with the vast majority of uh, respondent selections. So from the 200 or so individual company names that people tweeted in response, there was a lot of overlap, as you might expect, but there was also about 10 that I'm unfamiliar with and I am currently researching. So I'm going to tell you (laughs) all 10 with the caveat that I'm not saying I like them, but I am saying I'm looking into them. And I wouldn't be surprised if in the list of 10 that I'm about to read out, there's a huge potential winner in the making. I just don't really know which one. So there is Vicarious Surgical, which is Ticker or B O T. I'm looking at Wolf Speed, ticker Wolf, W O L F. I'm looking at Next Era Energy. Actually, it was company I'm already vaguely familiar with. It's a $150 billion business, but anyway, I'm looking at Next Year Energy. There's uh, Byronet Technologies, B Y R N, iBio, which has been pummeled IBIO and it's like less than 50 cent a share at the moment which would generally disqualify for me but I'll have a look there's Aurora Innovation AUR there's Lantronics LTRX Simon Property Group SPG which I'm I'm familiar with Uh, App Harvest which I'm also familiar with APPH and then finally Gingo Bioworks which its ticker is DNA and I, I can't individually credit the twitter folk who applied with these names but i would like to say thank you and as i said uh, i bet there's something in there that will be a big winner because this is the collective this is the power of collective intelligence yeah i wish there was a little more substantial details easily available on vicarious surgical and i I currently am tempted to reach out to one of their management team for a chat because i did like what i saw on their website so there you go there's 10 i'm looking at but i can't say that i am particularly excited about Annie at the moment, but as a cohort of businesses that people thought about and said, you know, these 10 people are going to be, sorry, these 10 companies are going to be huge in 12 years. That's a starting point.
0: Yeah, at Har- Parvis is one you mentioned there. That's a company um, I think Rory pitched a couple of weeks or months ago. Really fascinating company as well. And marie I'm not going to ask you for 10 companies. Have you just got one?
2: <laughs> yes, I do have just one. And this actually was a recommendation from a user as well, funnily enough. I This week I'm having a look at Garmin. I've kind of just taken my first look at it so far. It's a very nice little solid stock coming off probably about 10 years of pretty stagnant revenue growth. The last couple of years for them have been really good. Um, they have had consistent sales growth of more than 10% year over year every year. Quarter. They have absolutely no debt and they're really well diversified across a number of sectors. So that's looking like GPS is for your car, for your boat. Um for pilots, I believe, and then things like their fitness watches and then kind of outdoors GPSs that you would use while hiking. So they're across a number of verticals. They have huge government and military contracts, absolutely gigantic. They raised their guidance for next year. Oh, and I should mention about the diversification. That really helped insulate them from the pandemic because it meant that more and more people were hiking. So they sold a bunch of fitness equipment. And then at the same time, like the military didn't stop running. So they kind of just kept on chugging right through COVID. Yeah. Um, they're a dividend payer and they have a massive ca- cash on hand, which means they could make maybe a lucrative acquisition, or they could do a stock buyback. So it's a very nice stock. It's a bit of a slow moving stock, to be honest. But maybe in these kind of times of trouble, it's the kind of stock that we should be looking at. So I'm excited to kind of dig in deeper.
0: Yeah, fascinating company. I'm actually wearing a Garmin watch right now. And I, as, a, mm-hmm. as a consumer, I'm very, very impressed. And they're a great company.
1: Oh, that's quite interesting. John, JT, uh, my co-founder and I, we we were like linked with Fitbit for years. And then recently, he dumped it and went to Garmin. And we had a conversation very similar to to the one we're having now, and he's uh, yeah, he's a fan too.
0: Yeah, they're, they're really the highest standard in that kind of fitness watches. So that's it for today's show. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us, and don't forget to leave a review or a rating on whatever platform you listen to us on. Thanks for listening to us today, and we'll talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.